it's me again. Hi there, welcome to another episode of All Abandoned, a rock and metal podcast. I, as always, am Jesse Van Ragnid, and uh, today we're going to be starting a two-part series on Faith No More, one of my favorites for a long time, And but tell you all about that later. Uh, right now we're going to... I was going to riff. I'm going to riff with you for a little bit. Um, if you've uh, listened to the last couple episodes, you know, I, I mentioned, uh, you, know, you know, some stuff about like video games like Diablo 4 and whatever. I just started playing the Callisto Protocol recently. But um, last weekend was the uh, Pittsburgh uh, Gaming Convention at the old uh, good old Monroeville Convention Center. And oh, uh, yeah. And speaking of uh, Pittsburgh, when I was like, I was last week. I was listing a bunch of venues that I had seen concerts at, and forgot to specify that it was indeed Pittsburgh. Um, I, I did mention Pittsburgh later, but sorry about that. I'll try to be better about not just acting like I'm only talking to people from Pittsburgh. So, uh, so yeah. Anyway, I went with my uh, buddy Thane to the gaming convention, and uh, I got to meet uh, Dustin Furman and Ben Smith from Last Stand Media. They had a little meet and greet, and I got to talk to them. I Got a photo with them. It's on my Instagram, uh, Jeffy Juice. And uh, if you want to check that out. And they were very, uh, very sweet, nice guys. So uh, I'd like to acknowledge them. My buddy Thane, he got uh, his first tattoo. And uh, I, I think he said it was Final Fantasy XIV, which I've never played. But it was basically like the like this little like fireball-looking symbol for a black mage. And he got it like on his arm, uh, which was really cool. So... Hell yeah. Love you, Thane, buddy, if you're listening. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, I had a I had a bit of road rage on the way there, and so before I went in, I had to go over to TGI Fridays and uh, slam a double shot of, uh, of whiskey just to, you know, calm my nerves. And uh, I got right back on track, so a lot of cool vendors there. But I got, like, this picture of, uh, it's like the, the Baphomet, but it's uh, Alakazam from Pokemon, and uh, it was really funny. So I'll, I'll show you next week, dear uh, watcher, irrelevant for the uh, podcast listener. I got some uh, hilarious stickers too, which again, I, I'll, I'll show you uh, next week. And I also got to play a new like uh, symbiote Spider-Man, like Venom symbiote pinball, where you're kind of, uh, you can be a black suit Spider-Man, Venom, like Gwen Stacy, or like the newer, like Eddie Brock Venom, who looks like a... SWAT guy or something. I don't know. Uh, I never made it that far. But uh, you go after Carnage and all the other symbiotes like Riot and Scream or whatever. And uh, while I don't like new pinball as much, like the, the screens are too much, it's too flashy and like really tries to steal your attention. But as far as new pinball machines go, this one I actually thought played pretty well. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. So uh, hell yeah, video games are cool and stuff. So as always, we'll go into what I've been listening to, and like just some shit I bought. So uh, first, I'll mention I've been listening to uh, Black Braid Two. Uh, the original Black Braid album came out last year. Two is up now. I don't believe that there's a physical release or anything, not that I know of anyway. But you can support them on Bandcamp, and obviously uh, the albums are on like YouTube if you want to check them out. But Black Braid, uh, it's a solo project. It's based in the Adirondack Mountains of uh, New York. And the mastermind is a Native American guy named John Krieger. Uh, he also uses a Mohawk pseudonym, which I respectfully won't try to pronounce. 
but it translates to the witch hawk and that's it's pretty fucking cool uh, it beats uh brendan from the uh, first episodes uh it beats his college nickname of nighthawk by a fucking mile so fuck you brendan you wish you were witch hawk so uh first we'll start off with uh a little uh, a pullback from the first episode uh dorsey's gold mine where I, I talked about a few things that i had been listening to my dad gave me a bunch of cds that he doesn't he's not into anymore and uh i had mentioned uh, like stereosaurus by new bat and uh planet gemini amongst uh, a couple other ones so this week for you i've got carrie sun uh great album and again this is like good like stoner doom and also we're all gonna die go to hell this one was really good uh, as well. Highly recommend. Uh, in addition to that, I bought a couple candle masses. Uh, Brendan started getting me into these guys. I was always kind of aware, but just, you know, never listened for whatever reason. So I got Epicus, Dumacus, Metallicus. And that's fun. That's all really fun and good. And also Ancient Dreams. Uh, this is the first one I got into. Brendan has the record. One night... You know, we we took some silly substances and um, listened to uh, a thousandfold epicenter by the Devil's Blood. We listened to Ancient Dreams, and fucking blew my mind. Very very good, very very good doom. Uh, there's a new Warman out, and uh, Yane Warman, uh, ex Children of Bodom, plays keyboards. Here for None is out. It's really good. It's a uh, a Petrie Lindrus, a uh, former Norther. Uh, current Enciferum. Uh, he's singing for them now. So it's, it's, it very much just sounds like a kind of a, like a new Children of Bodom in style. Uh, but of course with, you know, uh, like more like Norther like vocals. So it's, uh, it's very fun how those, uh, guys in Finland all like to jump around and co-mingle. We got Mystic Circle. It's another one that Brendan had showed me uh, a long time ago. Uh, was at Ides. Shopping around, you got the little Ides, again, in Pittsburgh. Uh, tag there. Um, this is their newest one, I believe, but as you can see, I haven't opened it yet. But from what I remember previewing, it's really good. You know, kind of just like melodic death kind of shit. And the one I'm most uh, excited about, even though I somehow forgot that it had come out earlier this year, the new newest Blood Ceremony. Blood Ceremony is one of my favorite bands, which I guess... I think I was wearing the shirt in the last episode, so, you know, you could probably assume how much I like it. But the, this album is called The Old Ways Remain. It's their fifth. Hellfire Club, track one, has some, like, really sweet shreds. It starts off really fucking good, like, really, really just grabs your attention right off the bat. And then the latter half of the album really, like, leans into folk rock, I, I think, harder than they really ever have. It's, it's really folky. And track eight... I'm not even sure how to really describe it, but there's like ooh and stuff going on in the background, and it's just like I don't know if you would say that it's like uh, like Steamy Nicks or something, Steamy Nicks I know, but it just has that like a, like an old school kind of uh, you know feel to it like that, and of course you know the Jethro Tall influences there with all the flutes and everything, so so yeah I couldn't rec can't recommend that enough, fantastic, fantastic. I saw Blood Ceremony years ago. Years and years ago in Ohio, and uh, you know, I, I went up to get merch. Alio Brian was a uh, man on the table. Uh, Kylesa was headlining. Both bands, fucking, oh my god, it was so awesome. I think that was the uh, 
That would have been for Blood Ceremony right after Living with the Ancients, their second album. And for Kylesa, I think it was the one after Spiral Shadow, which I think is Ultraviolet. But Spiral Shadow is like by far my favorite Kylesa. But anyway, you know, I, I was all young and, and nervous and Alia, you know, I, I bought the shirt off her, gave her the money and I was like, oh, 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 thank you. You know, just looking at this like hot, mega talented, fucking awesome artist. And I was all nervous. And then for some reason, like, I swear, she was just staring into my eyes. And we were just staring into each other's eyes the entire concert. Um, I don't know if it was just, like, the lighting where it looked like she was looking at me. But uh, I like to pretend that she was. Um, like, she was, like, transfixing me into, like, a into the devil cult or something like that. Um, maybe I was going to be the blood sacrifice for the ceremony. You know, who knows? But, uh, but that was very fun. Made it up to... Uh, one of the exchange stores, a uh, big, you know, yeah, kind of big chain, uh, here in the, in the greater Pittsburgh area. Uh, you know, video games, movies, um, music, of course, buy, sell, trade kind of shit. So I got some, uh, mostly used and one new. I got Susie and the Banshees, Peep Show. I need to do something about this lighting. I'm going to get a better camera too, but eh, just bear with me for now. Peep Show. Susie and the Banshees, uh, Cranberries. My favorite is uh, Bury the Hatchet, honestly, but uh, everybody else is doing it, so why can't we? Of course, it has uh, Linger and, and Dreams on it. Great. Little uh, Dog and Butterfly by uh, by Heart. Dog and Butterfly. Uh, it's I think it's like their second album, maybe third, but it's got a Mistral Wind on it which is one of my favorite heart songs. It's really, really underrated. Of course, uh, Nightwish. Oceanborn, classic. Nightwish is second, I believe. I'm confused in my own mind about the first CD I ever bought myself. Because again, my, I don't know if I've mentioned on the show before or not, but my brother's 10 years older, so I have a lot of... I have like all of his old CDs, plus everything that I've added to it over the years. But I think... Uh, Century Child by Nightwish, I think was the first CD I ever bought, but it also might have been Ghost Reveries by Opeth, but I think it was Nightwish. So that one's really nostalgic for me, but we never had that one. Josh had, uh, my brother had, uh, Wishmaster, and that might have been it, at least physically. And then, so then Century Child would have been the one after that that I bought myself because I loved Wishmaster so much. Yeah, so again, it's really nostalgic for me. Nightwish is amazing. It was just never the same after Taria, after they booted her, but, you know, they're still really talented guys, and it's fucking awesome. So, uh, I got to see them again in Ohio at Peabody's, I want to say, and that was, like, freshly, like, fresh after they got Annette, after, uh, Taria, after they kicked her out, so. And lastly, and then we'll, uh, we'll move on, uh, the newest Tribulation EP, Tribulation uh, really fucking good. I, I'm hoping it's still good old Tribulation, but still in the plastic, so I'll let you know. But uh, Children of the Night is, is is an amazing record. It's one of the best out of the last 10 years, I would say for sure. So um, if you've never heard of Tribulation, I would uh, urge you to check them out. So uh, after I left the exchange, I noticed on my... Yeah, I kind of just didn't you know, feel like going home. And I was like, well, I drove up here. Yeah, I might as well, I might as well take advantage of it, you know. And so I noticed on my GPS, I was looking for, for something to do. And there's a Necromancer Brewing was nearby off of like McKnight Road in Pittsburgh. And uh, 
I, I have this little thing I like to do where I like to take coasters from places as like little mementos. And so, uh, funnily enough, I noticed that this one says, uh, I stole this coaster from Necromancer Brewing and now all of my beers are haunted. Isn't that cute? So that's cool. The beer is actually really good too. I know like a lot of, uh, like beer pubs and like micro brews and stuff are like so common now and like everyone's doing it. And a lot of the times, like it's really not impressive. I can think of a few places that just really have kind of like shit beer, but I won't say it. But the beer there was actually really good. So they had like a rye IPA, which is one of my favorites, like a red rye. Uh, that was, that was excellent. And then they had like a, like a rhubarb, like Weiss, like a Berliner Weiss sourish and uh, excellent as well. So yeah, there you go, guys. Free plug. Just because I like it. And, uh, oh yeah. So, <laughs> so while I was there, um, there's this girl uh, talking to this other, this woman talking to another woman at the bar. And, uh, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Is this like, is she important? Because there was this photographer walking all around her walking around the bar, like, snapping photos. And she's like, what? This must be somebody. I mean, I'm not throwing any shade, but it's like, who, who's pretentious enough to have their own personal photographer at a, at a fucking brewery? But I had an idea, so I started looking it up, and, uh, yeah, it was, like, it Jordan, I think it's DeFigio, 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 I want to say. Sorry for not looking up how to pronounce uh, her name. Um, but she does, like, the Yin's Hers sports podcast and it was like oh, okay that's who that is i didn't bother but uh so it was uh, that was kind of funny i wonder if she i wonder if she just felt the presence of another podcaster in her midst i wonder uh. all right so let's get into it as i mentioned at the top i'm starting a two-parter on faith no more and for this episode we're gonna get through the mosley era and then uh we'll get into mike Patton and uh all of his uh tomfoolery in a couple weeks so cats are messing with the door one sec stop it stop that stop that stop that oh and uh before i get into the topic i have a little note for the last episode during a uh, last episode's review of uh, darkadelic by the damned i misspoke and said that the invisible uh the universal invisible man film came out in 1993 Instead of 1933, so sue me, dickhead. Anyway, so yeah, Faith and More is a, it's a very special band for me. Uh, I started listening to them in, in high school, uh, maybe 10th, 11th grade or something. Uh, my brother had The Real Thing, Angel Dust, uh, King for a Day, Full for a Lifetime, and Album of the Year on CD. And uh, also at that time, uh, my cousin Seth, who I had mentioned in the first episode, he, he always wanted to do a band called Sandwich. Uh, he's a funny guy. Um, but he he at, the, he, at the time, had this jokey alter ego named uh, Jake Badlands, uh, who would who would wear a The Real Thing t-shirt underneath of his brown leather members-only jacket. And he had, like, a mohawk, and it was, uh, it was very fun. Very fun. Drove a moped, famously. Uh, great character. Um, so anyway, with my interest peaked at the time, I started with The Real Thing. From which, you know, I was aware of Epic, of course, you know, who isn't? But I, I remember being in the car, and I think my mom was driving. And uh, thank you, Mom, for always letting me listen to music that you definitely didn't like, usually. You know, I, not that uh, not that Faith and More is bad. I'm, I'm sure you could tolerate that, but, you know, things like non-exist and 
and like Grave Worm and whatever the hell else I was listening to. <laughs> so thank you for letting me listen to things while you drove me around. So um, so anyway, uh, Surprise Your Dead came on, and I was just like, "Fuck, like uh, I'm in." And then and then Zombie Eaters, and then the title track, the real thing, and it's just like, "Holy fuck!" It's like this three punch combo that it floored me like Soda Popinski. <laughs> I was I was in love with the band, you know, from from that track on, and uh, we'll dig into the albums one by one later. Again, this week we'll do We Care A Lot and Introduce Yourself. Pick up next week with the Mike Patnera. But anyway, logically, the next step uh, for me was was Angel Dust. And uh, it was a bit tougher to digest at first, especially for me at the time. Just because it's just so weird. And it's like it's heavy. It's, uh, it's silly. It's like just intensely creative and eclectic and... It's just one of the most unique records I've ever heard. I just remember like driving to high school my senior year and smoking ganj and blasting it or, or King for a Day. And, uh, and Mike Patton is obviously a huge vocal influence for me as well, but he is for everyone. That's, that's something that anyone would tell you. So let's get into it. I got a little info dump for you. Uh, dump. So... Faith No More's story begins in San Francisco, Candy Cornea, in 1979. Uh, a couple guys named uh, Mike Morris and Wade Worthington started a group calling themselves Sharp Young Men. Uh, Morris was a singer and Worthington played keyboards. Billy Gold and Mike Puff Borden would come aboard shortly after on bass and drums, respectively. Morris suggested changing their name to Faith in No Man, but they'd settle with Faith No Man at Borden's uh, suggestion. Faith No Man recorded a dual single, Quiet in Heaven, Song of Liberty, was the title, in producer Matt Wallace's parents' garage. Uh, Before its release in 1983, however, Worthington left the group and was replaced by Roddy Bottom. Uh, With Bottom taking over the keys, the core trio that would become Faith No More were united in gold, Borden, and Bottom. So... This trio would soon split off to form Faith No More proper. The name was chosen to reflect the fact that Mike Morris, the man, as it were, was no more. Uh, Chuck Mosley would soon join as the new singer, and Jim Martin joined on guitar. But uh, interestingly, and I didn't even realize this before starting to, to write this episode, but before Chuck joined, they they performed with like a handful of different singers and Apparently one of them was Courtney Love, and that's weird and funny. So uh, how about that? A little fun fact for you. <laughs> Courtney Love was in Faith No More before Mike Patton. Well, not in it, but at least, you know, performed with him. So uh, Faith No More's first release was a self-titled cassette in 1983, which featured a live performance on side A and a 20-minute instrumental track on side B. And with that, we'll get into the uh, proper studio albums and... Uh, like I said on this episode, we'll cover the Mosley era. It's a dirty cock, but someone's got to screw it. We Care A Lot was released in 1985. The Faith No More sound is definitely present on the album. Uh, Roddy's atmospheric keyboards, Billy's funky slapping bass, Puff's sick beats, and Martin's metal-influenced shreds can all be prominently heard. And uh, this sound would uh, carry the band on through Angel Dust, even with Mike Patton's inclusion. But again... We'll get to that next episode. 
so Mosley's vocals are are contentious, especially with critics at the time. At the time the album was released, uh, but I actually like his style uh, a lot. The sporadically monotone, sometimes like off-key kind of delivery. It has a punky charm that uh, serves to ground the otherworldly combination of tones that Gold, Borden, Bottom, and Martin produce. Select Magazine at the time described We Care A Lot as a, quote, lustful marriage of mutoid metal and dance floor verve that owed nothing to anybody. Nothing to no one. Billy Gold said in a 2015 interview, There are probably things we could have done better, but at the same time, I think that the performances were pretty damn good. And that had to do with us keeping focused and needing to work within those budget restrictions. We rehearsed quite a lot before we went in to record, so we were ready. The song We Care A Lot is a classic, of course, uh, but the version from the following album, Introduce Yourself, is actually is much better. Um, the future band with Patton would still play tracks from their first release, like As The Worm Turns, and in even stuff from Introduce Yourself, like Chinese Arithmetic. Um, As The Worm Turns would eventually be re-recorded with Patton during the Angel Dust sessions, even. So how about that? So, kind of like I did a... Uh, with last week's damned, uh, you know, kind of dissection, I want to dissect a few of my favorite tracks lyrics from We Care A Lot. So, We Care A Lot. Uh, the title track is probably the one Patton was most referring to uh, when he once described the album as bad hippie music. It, uh, the track sarcastically lists off a bunch of pop culture touchstones that they care a lot about, like uh, Cabbage Patch Kids, The Smurfs, Madonna, and Mr. T., and for some reason, the Golden Age actor, Rock Hudson. Uh, it even pokes fun at uh, charity concerts like Live Aid and the musicians that partake in them. And even mocks law enforcement and war. Uh, it's a little counterculture anthem that's you know pretty cute and fun. Though it's certainly not the best that the album has to offer by far. One of my favorites, Why Do You Bother? Uh, this one is clearly about drug abuse. Uh, the lyrics offer a glimpse into the life of a user who falls in and out of uh, binges due to an emotional struggle with some past trauma. Been there. It's a tale as old as civilization, one which I, and maybe even you, listener, can sympathize with, or, or at least empathize with. Um, this person's struggle affects also those around them, and whether that's by the user's directed actions or the uh, vicarious experience of friends who watch this person deteriorate, the user steals their energy. The lyrics even suggest the type of drug this user uh, is struggling with, though I don't think that's truly important to the greater message. Um, but with words like speed and race and, and pace, it's suggested to me that the subject of the song is dealing with like uppers, be it like speed or, or coke or what have you. Uh, the line, quote, this time was mine to borrow, I'll pay for it tomorrow. And the perspective change of the following line, quote, you'll pay for it today speaks to the mentality of someone struggling with drug use. Uh, you know, keep keep chasing the urge today and worry about the repercussions tomorrow. Fuck it. I'm going to use even more today, make my pleasure greater, and go even faster toward a premature finish line. It's an endless cycle until there is no tomorrow. And all this begs the question, why even live at all? Why do you bother? The song itself ends with a slowing tempo, descent, as Mosley's troubled utterances occasionally peek through the music, and down we go. This is followed by the piano's dirge, confirming the subject of the song's untimely demise. This track would end up 
Stop that. Stop that. This track would end up being tragically prophetic, but more on that later. Worst time for, for the cat to start bagging on the door. I'm trying to be all like deep and like emotional and stuff. And I'm a cat. Isn't that just cats for you? Cats and Jammer. Okay, so with As a Worm Turns, I didn't realize how poignant some of the lyrics on We Care A Lot really are uh, before I really started digging into them uh, for the segment. And, um, and how much the last track discussed in this one as well, this track, uh, how much they mean to me. So according to Merriam-Webster, the worm turns is a phrase used to talk about how a situation can suddenly change so that a person who has been weak, unlucky, unsuccessful, etc. can become strong, lucky, successful, etc. Two etc. Without getting into myself too much, uh, I'll just say that I've struggled with motivation and, and purpose for many years. I feel like I'm on the other side of that now, uh, ho- hopefully for good. Um, but as the lyrics tell you, uh, dear listener, it takes effort. Uh, your fortunes won't change themselves. You you have to make progressive changes and see small victories uh, one at a time, day after day, and trust that uh, your lot will improve and that you will make it to a place of happiness and fulfillment eventually. But you got to work for it. And, uh, and trust me, it's not easy, uh, but nothing worth having in life is. And you may feel like you're worthless and, and that... Um, and that things can't change, and that nothing matters. Uh, but you only have one life to live, so uh, so put down that bottle and contribute to society while you also chase your dream, because time is on your side. You're young. Don't waste your time today. Arabian Disco is an awesome song, too, but I really don't know uh, what to say about its lyrical content. Um, it's just a really fucking awesome song. And lastly, I'll just say that the, the, the feeling and the, and the mood of the instrumental pills for breakfast definitely reminds me of the real things Woodpecker from Mars. Again, the solidity of uh, Borden, Bottom, Gold, and Martin reigns here. It's very good. So, Faith No More signed with Slash Records in 1986 and released their sophomore album Introduce Yourself in 1987. The uh, significant tracks on this one are Introduce Yourself, the single Anne's song, and Chinese Arithmetic, which I think is an awesome song as well, and it's my favorite on the album. Uh, I think it's one of Mosley's best uh, vocal performances on the first two albums, like, in generally, like, at all. And uh, it's, it's one that the band would continue to play live under Patton. And, of course, the aforementioned re-recording of We Care A Lot, which was used on the Discovery show Dirty Jobs, which first aired in 2003. Yeah, you guys remember Dirty Jobs. It was a Mike Rowe. He was cool. He's a cool guy. Introduce Yourself starts off strong with uh, Faster Disco, a title that suggests a self-awareness of their dance club rhythms and stylings. As uh, Sounds Magazine described the album at the time, quote, a breathtaking harmonization of molten metal guitar, deadly dance rhythms, and poignant, pointed lyrics. There's those uh, poignant lyrics again. But unfortunately, it would be uh, their last album with singer Chuck Mosley. Faster Disco is not quite a celebration of dance club culture though uh, on the contrary it it condemns drug use once again dressing up looking your best and going to the club and losing your mind with substances until the sun comes up and chases the entire night away in a blur of temporary euphoria the dance club coloring continues jesus christ 
Uh, that was alliteration I didn't even mean. I didn't realize that I had done that until I just read it right now. Um, the Dance Club Coloring continues on to the second track, Anne's Song, which was released as a single in 1988. Writing for The Quietus, Jamie Thompson puts it better than I can at this time. He felt that multiple listens revealed, quote, the angst, uncertainty, and sexual politics that come with some, something as simple as going out with some friends. Thompson also stressed the, quote, charismatic, soulful melancholia of Mosley's delivery. I love that. Charismatic, soulful melancholia. That's, that's awesome. That should be something. I don't know why. Um, introduce yourself. The track title was conceived by Bottom as the cheerleader's song. Uh, pulling from Wikipedia, quote, it was written on Faith No More's first nationwide tour of the United States in 1986 as they were on their way from South Dakota to Portland, Oregon and driving through Missoula, Montana. Keyboardist Roddy Bottom became inspired to write the song when the band went to a truck stop for coffee. He came up with the lyrics on the next leg of the journey while sitting in the passenger seat of the band's Dodge. So I think uh, Introduce Yourself highlights the class and wealth disparity in the United States. Uh, with the person at the bottom leading a tougher life from which they can't crawl out of. Uh, so this person becomes resigned to their lot in life and works and drinks it away. Uh, this person becomes gradually more spiteful of the successful people at the top, referring to them mockingly as Mr. Big Time. Mr. Big Time, Mr. Bestall, Mr. Epic, and so on. Mr. Rubber Burner. Uh, this derision distracts uh, this person at the bottom from any self-reflection that might help them work their way upward to a better spot in life. And uh, that's my interpretation anyway, uh, as these lyrical analyses always are. Uh, I hope you enjoy them, listener, uh, because I enjoy writing them. And uh, just for the record, I don't, I don't seek out and uh, regurgitate any other person's uh, interpretations. They're always my own. Even if that means I come to some of the same conclusions, you might find on something like songmeetings.com, where I used to frequent, especially in my college days as a student worker, where I would spend a lot of time looking up lyrics for bands like Monster Magnet and like Church of Misery. Nope. Nope. We're not doing that. Nope. Nope. All right, buddy. Do you move? Do you move? Do you have something to say? Do you have something to say? Nope, there you go. Nope, that's yours now. Alright, buddy, you gotta get down. Papa's got a show to do. Everybody, this is King. <laughs> I'd like to welcome my co-host, uh, King. Say something funny. Talk about... Talk about how much I sweat. Talk about how I'm losing my hair. Go on, give me a good razzing. I can take it. Roast me. Alright. Okay. Get down. Oh, you're a big boy. Okay. Oh. Uh, King. Uh, King is of course named after. So, all right, we'll go on a little, another little tangent here. Why not? I got time to fill. Eh, it's my show. I can go as long or as not as I want. Fuck you. I have a history of uh, naming uh, my pets, all but like one or two of which have been cats, throughout my life, um, after either bands or fighting game characters. So King, of course is both. Uh, he's a little nod to King Diamond, of course, the fucking legend, and also uh, King from Tekken. So not, not just like, not just bands, but like fighting game characters. Not, not video game characters, specifically fighting game characters. So 
with his name, I was able to achieve both. And with my kitten, Venom, he's, he's outside somewhere. But also, I kind of did the same. It's a little bit of a caveat, but I mostly named him after the band Venom. But Venom, the Marvel character, was playable in Marvel vs. Capcom 2. So he technically counts as a, a fighting game character. So uh, my first dog, I had, he's a Golden Lab Beagle mix. I think I got him when I was like four or something. I named him Jax after Jax from Mortal Kombat, so I was super into Mortal Kombat at the time. And for some reason, it just came to me. I just remember riding in in, in back of the car with him, and you know, my mom and my brother I think were in the front, and they asked what I wanted to call him. I said Jax. Seemed like a good name. It's a good dog name. So and I had a parakeet too. He, well, I guess well, with the same caveat as as the name Venom. Uh, I guess it technically counts, but I named him Donatello after the Ninja Turtle. But uh, since there is a Ninja Turtle fighting game, technically works. Anyway, let's get back on track here. Thanks for the distraction, buddy. I'm just going to start over. So I think Introduce Yourself highlights the class and wealth disparity in the United States, with the person at the bottom leading a tougher life from which they can't crawl out of. Uh, so this person becomes resigned to their lot in life and works and drinks it away. This person becomes gradually more spiteful of the successful people at the top, referring to them mockingly as Mr. Big Time, Mr. Best All, Mr. Epic, and so on. This derision distracts the this person at the bottom from any self-reflection that might help them work their way upward to a better spot in life. The last song I want to discuss with you is uh, Chinese Arithmetic. Uh, it's an amazing song, and it's my favorite on the album. Like I said, the song to me is about a serial cheater. This uh, man-whore or player, or fuckboy, and uh, that's with an I, not a Y, mind you. Uh, he sluts his way from club to club, bar to bar, through every soul and every hallway, at the detriment of his girlfriend. Peter, as he's named, has to live an increasingly deceitful life, as he must hide his lustful behavior from his partner. And I told you we'd get back to We Care A Lot. Uh, the version of We Care A Lot on this album not only sounds better, the lyrics are updated to reference more timely pop culture subjects. Cabbage Patch becomes Garbage Pail Kids, and the Smurfs becomes Transformers, you know, because there's more than meets the eye. Faith No More would embark on a tour with the, with the Red Hot Chili Peppers to promote Introduce Yourself. Faith No More opened for the Chili Peppers for the first two and a half months of the North American Uplift Mofo, Mo- uh, Uplift Mofo Party Tour which saw the Peppers promoting their third album, The Mofo Party Plan. Guitarist Jim Martin recalled, We were traveling in a box van with no windows. We drove all the way to the East Coast for the first show. Flea asked me if we liked to smoke weed. I said, yes. And he said, we're going to get along just fine. Uh, we did something like 52 dates in 56 days. And uh, as uh, Faith No More and Mr. Bungle fans well know, this isn't the last time we'll hear from the Chili Peppers during uh, our coverage here of uh, Faith No More. But uh, Faith No More's time with Mosley would soon come to an end, for now at least. Uh, Mosley would become an increasingly difficult bandmate to share the stage and road with. Uh, for example, during a release party for Introduce Yourself, Mosley fell asleep on stage during a performance. Mosley also began acting out in troubling ways. Uh, examples include striking Billy Gold on stage during a 1988 European tour. And uh, also a roadie of his got into a fight with Martin, about which Gold said, quote, By the time that happened, Chuck was already kind of out of it for me. I guess Jim and the roadie had been drinking and they got in a fight. It came to a point where Jim was our guitar player and he broke his hand fighting the guy. 
It's the first night of the European tour, and somebody had to go. It obviously wasn't going to be our guitar player. Chuck took it very personally, sticking up for his roadie. Uh, Gold reflected on that tour, saying, quote, There was a certain point when I went to rehearsal, and Chuck wanted to do all acoustic guitar songs. It was just so far off the mark. The upshot was that I got up, walked out, and quit the band. I just said, I'm done. I can't take this any longer. It's just so ridiculous. The same day, I talked to Borden, and he said, well, I still want to play with you. Bottom did the same thing. It was another one of these firing somebody without firing them scenarios, unquote. Mosley would begin singing for Bad Brains in 1990, performing dozens of shows in the United States and Europe before leaving the band in January of 1992. Faith O'More would reunite with Mosley in the August of 2016. They played two shows to promote a reissue of We Care A Lot, and they did so billed as Chuck Mosley and Friends. So, uh, unfortunately, Mosley would die of an apparent heroin overdose less than a year later in the November of 2017 at age 57. So, here's to Chuck Mosley. Prost! So that's it. That's all we have. Uh, I hope it wasn't too disappointing. We'll be back in a couple weeks for Faith No More Part 2, for which we'll cover the Mike Patton era. I'll be joined by our themes composer, Matt Van Horn, to discuss the albums from The Real Thing on through Soul Invictus, the immeasurable impact Faith No More has had on us, as well as our trip to Madison Square Garden to see the band in 2015. Good old 2015 there. And, um... All the fuckery that went along with that. So, uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next time at VRacknit on Twitter, Jeffy Juice on Instagram, uh, JollyJellyMedia G- uh, gmail.com if you want to write in. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All Abandoned, a rock and metal podcast, a product of Jolly Jelly Media, is proudly recorded in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. All Abandoned is written, edited, and produced by Jesse Van Ragnit. The opening theme music was written by Matthew Van Horn and was recorded by Matthew Van Horn, Anthony Capozzi, and Nicholas Petruniak. You can write into the show by email at jollyjellymedia at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.